All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Normally, at this time, we um, we do we share some announcements and uh, and and talk about uh, tithing and whatnot. But today, we're going to be as a, the first service of March. We're going to be doing communion. And for those of you that are new here, we try to do communion once a month, the first service of every month, and we try to alternate uh, Wednesday and Sunday services. That way, everybody gets an opportunity, uh, as far as being available, to to do communion. Um, and if the elders could come forward and start passing that out, I'll we'll. Uh, Go ahead and get started. Jesus asked us to carry out the simple tradition uh, to remember that he gave his, his life for ours. That he was poured out to wash away our sins. Like baptism, communion is a spiritual symbol and reminder, and reminder of what Jesus has done. But it holds power not only as a symbol, it also reminds us to invite the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and continue to do his work of washing us by grace of Jesus. If you'd please pass it out. Yeah, I got one. Thank you. And we'll um, partake together. So if you would just please wait. All right. Now that everybody's got one, I'm going to go ahead and read from Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat this body. Let us pray. God, thank you for sending us Jesus, who not only lived for us, but died for us. The Son of God, who came in the body of a man and gave himself up so we could live. Thank you that his body was raised back to life. Thank you that because of the grace of Jesus, we have real life and we can live forever in you. Amen. And please partake. And Matthew 26, 27 through 29 reads, Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. God, what an incredible picture this is of your love. You allowed your only son to literally be poured out so that we could, ha- we could be in fully restored relationship with you. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your blood. Amen. And please partake of the cup. We remember that Jesus did this, did while taking communion. We remember that what Jesus did while taking communion. It can feel a bit of a somber moment, and that's Okay. But don't forget that this is an incredible reason to celebrate. You are encouraged to not just experience the symbol of communion, but to live in its truth. We are set free because Jesus is alive and giving us life to the full. <coughs> Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we again thank you, Lord. We thank you for your son dying on the cross, Lord. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for grace, Lord. We thank you for your love, Lord. We thank you for the many provisions that you provide us, Lord. Uh, we lift up the tithing offerings up to you, Lord, and we lift up Pastor Mike to you as he uh, p- prepares to uh, share your message with us, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your love again. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can hear, I still got that cough, so I'm still fighting that thing. So you can keep that in prayer. But we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, or if you've been with us for any amount of time, it's going to seem like we're changing directions here. It's going to seem like there's a a change in subject, and there is, but we have to know that 
Paul's been working on this in his third missionary journey, which is he's going to take a collection. We don't want to use that word takes. I've already misspoken. He's going to receive a collection that is going to be given to help out those in Judea, specifically the church in Jerusalem. And in Israel at that time, if you became what they call a completed Jew and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were kicked out of the traditional Judaism. You're not allowed to go into the temple if they find out. Your family is going to excommunicate you. They're going to think that you're, you're dead. They're going to treat you as if you're a non-person. You can't go into the same places of business, the same workplaces. They can't go to the marketplace. It makes it incredibly hard to, to just live your life and to continue uh, to do things. And Paul has a special heart, we know from Romans, to provide for the nation of Israel. He even said that if he could be damned himself, if he could go to hell and he could save someone from Israel, that he would do that very thing. And we know with Paul, that's not just a fancy talk. He, he really meant that. And so he has this special heart. He's receiving this special offering. He's been going to all the churches, and he's going to provide that. And I wanted to give you the background so that as we're reading about this offering, because if you don't know it and you read the first few verses of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you you don't even know exactly what he's talking about without that background. And then we're going to build a little bit more. We're going to talk about why that was happening. We're going to talk about um, some economic things that were happening in Israel. We're going to talk about Corinth, and then we're going to talk about another church in Macedonia. Before we do that, let's go before the Lord in prayer. And we'll read verses 1 through 7. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you use this time, these people, these churches, not only to minister to them directly, but to minister to us removed by tens of thousands of miles and thousands and thousands of years, and yet it is still so applicable. And so we pray that you would teach us from your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read verses 1 through 7 together. It says, Moreover, brethren... We make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace also." So this grace that he's talking about is not the grace from the earlier chapters. He's talking about the financial offering. He's talking about that blessing. You see how we had to build the background a little bit? Because he doesn't really say it outright. He's not as forthright as some of us are that came from uh, Philadelphia around here. He just he talks about this grace and this ministry, and he talks about the Macedonians, and he's sharing with them something that if we don't know, we, we, it's harder to apply. Now, this offering that he's talking about was mentioned in Acts chapter 11, and it shares with us that it wasn't just the cultural changes that were happening in the nation of Israel. There was a literal famine. There's no food. There was agricultural issues. There was weather issues. It's in Acts eleven twenty-seven 27 through 30. 
And it says, In these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, Saul being Paul the Apostle. And so this offering's going on in the background. The Corinthians are very wealthy. We've talked about their background, how they had the markets and the shipping and the trade. They were um, on both sides of naval travel. We talked about how they were a philosophical area, a market area. They had the Ithian games there, Ithacan games, I believe it was called. And then Paul brings up these Macedonians. Who are the Macedonians and what are they talking about? The Macedonians are from northern Greece. So if the Corinthians, they're not all the way at the south, but they're pretty low. They were the city folk, you know, the New Yorkers from L.A. There was money. The Macedonians would what we would call the country hicks of Greece at that time. Not quite applicable, but you get the sense that they're, they're not as financially well off. They're more in the rural areas. And, and Paul is talking about the Macedonians to the Corinthians. Now, how are they supposed to feel about that? Now, I want you guys to be uh, fully aware. Today, we're going to talk about giving, but we're going to focus from the perspective of the body, of the church, corporately. Next week, when we're in chapter 9, we're going to emphasize more, emphasize more our personal giving and our personal relationship with God. Why don't we talk about the church? But I want us to think here. When we're comparing ourselves to another church, that's kind of dangerous. Like, let's call it Calvary Chapel Macedonia, and let's call it Calvary Chapel Corinth. And Paul is bringing up, well, you know, at Calvary Chapel Macedonia, this is what they're doing over there. How would you feel? Like, well, who cares about the Macedonians? We're the Corinthians. Don't you know who we are? Maybe in the flesh. And there's this comparison, and we're going to talk about why Paul does that, but how are you supposed to feel? And secondly, how are we supposed to feel when we're compared to other churches in general? Maybe other denominations or other churches in town. Are, are we to be jealous or envious? Are we not to compare? Are we not to touch other churches? Like, that's your church and this is our church. You know, you, you ever feel bad? You go visit another church? You feel like you're cheating on us? Well, this is the body of Christ as a whole. We're all one big family. If, if you believe in the doctrines, the fundamental doctrines of the faith, then we are in the family of God together. And we're going to see when is it good to be compared to others and when is it not. We're also going to see that just for the church as it is for us personally, giving is a major part of our walk, of our relationship with Christ. In fact, it's only recorded in Acts chapter 20. In verse 35, it says, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And maybe you've heard that and you didn't know that. Jesus is the one that actually said that phrase. I'm just glad I'm not the only one coughing in here, okay? Because so, I'm like kind of embarrassed it was just me. So if you need to get some water, it's okay, Relax. Fun fact, 
This is the only place in Scripture, in Acts chapter 20, that that is recorded, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, I used to compare myself a lot to other churches, at least our church, especially when we first planted the church. We didn't even have a building. We were just meeting in a small office in a lobby. And it was like, well, we were not a real church. That was a real church. And then it was kind of like, well, what are they doing? And how do you compare? Like, how do you judge another church? Is it better to have five services that are overflowing in a very small building or to have a big, giant cathedral with only a few seats in it? Is it better to have tons of missionary work or to have like a super big building with a campus on it? Like, who's doing it right? We need to be praying for and rooting for and inspired by our brothers and sisters in other churches. We shouldn't be looking down or criticizing or judging them just based on outward appearances. We should be provoked to love and good works. I'm going to talk about that a lot. It's not a matter of just criticizing one another or about our own insecurities. So when Paul here is saying, hey, the Macedonians, they have no money. They are so poor, and yet they are giving so much. That should provoke the Corinthians to do what? What's the goal? Is it their money? No, it's to love and good works. Provoking to love and good works, as it says in 1 Timothy. And so if we are jealous or envious of other churches, it should be for this and this alone, that they are closer to Jesus than we are, that they are more in love with the Lord than we are. That should provoke us. You know, maybe it didn't happen to you, but there are some who can relate. You know, maybe back in high school when you were dating and you, you wanted to, the young lady wanted to get the guy's attention, she would, have another, she would fake it so that another guy was flirting with, with her. Why did she do that? To provoke to jealousy. I, we should be jealous if somebody else is closer to the Lord than we are. That's provoking to love and good works. Like, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's my Lord. Of course, it's our Lord. But those are the things that should bring us together. We shouldn't be just aimlessly criticizing and feeling threatened by or put off by other churches, other calvaries, other denominations. Again, we're talking about the body of Christ. That means we believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture, um, salvation by faith alone through Christ alone. Now, if you don't believe that, then you're not in the family. You're out, out of the family. But in Romans chapter 14, it shows us in verses 1 through 5, it says, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but, do not, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one belief he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Yeah, I know. Some of you have some friends you want to share that with. There it is. It's 14.2, Romans 14.2. But that's not the point. Let him who eats despise not, let him who eats despise him who does let not him excuse me who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him who are you to judge another's servant that's the key to his own master he stands or falls indeed he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand one person esteems one day above another Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own man. Who are we to judge the other churches? Is Jesus the pastor of this church? Is he the king of the kings? Is he our Lord? If he's the Lord, then he's in charge. 
and he'll lead us however he sees fit, and he'll lead them however he sees fit. Remember, though, Paul is using the Macedonians to compare to the Corinthians, and he's doing it for a reason. Hey, listen here. The Macedonians have nothing, and they're giving a ton. You guys have everything to the Corinthians. You're very wealthy. The Lord has blessed you financially, and you're not giving. In Hebrews 10, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting, emphasis on exhorting, provoking, pushing one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And the Lord is coming soon. He's coming sooner than ever. I want to show you guys some things here in the Scripture here. It says in verse 2 that in, the, in, a grace, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and then here, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. What? what? I mean, that's just crazy. That in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So they have nothing, but they have an abundance of joy in great trial and affliction. How is that possible? I was listening to Pastor Chuck this morning on, on this chapter, and he shared this story, and I'm so glad he did, because I don't think I could personally share it. He says, imagine you go out to the, the street, and you see there in the gutter, in the road, a big roll of $100 bills, cash. And he said this, not me. He said, and it, it must be from a drug dealer, so you don't have to turn it to the police. No one's going to get it. They're not going to come retrieve it. You know it wasn't somebody. And, you, and you're so happy you found all this money. You found all this money. But then you go, you take it to the bank, to the teller, and the teller tells you that these are all fake. They're all counterfeit dollars. Now all your happiness is gone. You're, you were so happy when you found it, but all your happiness is gone. And it's definitely gone when the Secret Service comes to talk to you about how do you have all these counterfeit $100 bills. You notice how your happiness was tied to a thing. The thing doesn't change. It was the same thing in the gutter as it was in the bank teller, as it was in the Secret Service's hands. Only your mentality changed. It's just stuff. But here, it talks about their joy. See, joy and happiness is different. Happiness is based off of your emotions and your circumstances, but deep-seated joy is there regardless of circumstances. And we have joy in Christ. It says they had abundance of joy in affliction and deep poverty. The Corinthians didn't have that. The, the Corinthians had the wealth, though. And so the Corinthians are being challenged by this. I also want you to see in verse 3 where it says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were, see those words there, freely willing at the end of verse 3. Freely willing. You guys know my background. If you've been in this church for any amount of time, you know that maybe I wasn't from an anti-Christian family, but I was definitely from an anti-church family. And they have some good reasons for it. Because the church as I was taught, incorrectly, but not without some, not without some truth. He's out there to take all your money. 
is, is out there to take your hard-earned cash so that they can go to the golf course every day and so they could go fly in jets across the country and be hypocrites and rip you all off. And that they're going to use all kinds of tactics and tricks and lies to get that money out of your hands. And they're going to make you think you're doing it for God while they're going to live off of your cash. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of truth to that, but not in Christ. See, here it says freely willing, not cajoled, not stolen, not tampering with emotions, not putting a thermostat here saying that God is broke if we don't get it. God's not bad with money. He's not a bad at mismanaging. He's not on the, age, uh, the edge of bankruptcy every single month. You know, he can, he, all things were created by him and through him, and all things exist and consist through him. Colossians tells us. God's not broke. He doesn't need our money. But we should be freely willing to share, freely willing to help others. And remember, we're talking as the church by and large. So let's read verses 8 and 9 as we continue, because Paul's not done. He says, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love. Get this, by the diligence of others. Ouch. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. What in the world? Other churches are not our standard. What another church is or is not doing, that's not what we're compared to. What are we compared to? See, Paul is using Macedonia to what? He says it right here. I'm testing the sincerity of your love. That's not nice. By the diligence of others. The Macedonians were diligent. You were not. If you love Christ, see, he goes straight to the Lord. The Lord was rich and he became poor. He was in the throne room of God. He became a man. He became a child. He became a baby in a very poor family, in a very poor time, in a very poor part of the world. And when he was born, he was put in a feeding trough to feed animals. That's where he was laid. That's how he started his life. And in his ministry, it said, foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no material wealth. He became poor that we might become rich. Now, there are some that will take that verse incorrectly and say, well, God loves you, and if, you, if you're not financially well off, then obviously you are in the error, not him. We should all be materially blessed. That does not hold water for a second. No way, not true. But if the Lord is the leader of this church, then we should be following after him and following his example. So then as a church, why don't we just empty the bank account and give it to all the missionaries? Why are we paying rent here? You know, let's just quit having this facility. Let's all quit our jobs. Let's just go be missionaries to the world, and let's just go feed all the poor we can find, right? There are some that think that churches should do that, so why don't we? We're going to talk about that. I, I'm going to tell you right now, yes, I'm baiting you for a little bit later. And there are other fellowships that are, you know, they're so financially well off and they have great buildings and they have uh, great stuff and ministries and production crews and all this stuff, but they're barely giving anything to anyone. Is that good? Is that what they should be doing? Remember, the Lord told us earlier, it's better to give than to receive. Maybe we should give it all. 
Maybe we should sell all that we have and follow after him. Is that what he wants? Again, I am baiting you. But the Bible does tell us this in Hebrews 13. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. We're going to come back to that in a second. Now, verse 17 doesn't really have anything to do with this sermon, but because it was in there, I thought I'd share it with you. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I just threw that in there for me, for you guys. But let's go back to verse 16, which is the focus. Good. Three people got it. I'm glad. But do not forget to do good and to share. Okay, we know the church should be giving. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That's the point. That's the point. We need to be led by the Lord. He's in charge. He's the Lord. We want to follow His example. As Christians, remember, if we're provoked by another church, what do we want to be provoked by? Are they closer to the Lord than we are? We want to have a deep, close, intimate relationship with God. And that leads us to this word. And the way it's translated into the King James Version really says a lot about how does the church make these decisions. The word love in the King James Version is translated charity. Should the church be giving charity? Should we have soup kitchens? Should we be feeding the poor? Should, be that what, should that be what we're all about here? The emphasis is on love, loving your brothers, loving your enemies, most importantly, loving God. This agape, self-sacrificing, serving, high love. That means others first and ourselves second. And so we're going to remind ourselves, what did Paul tell the Corinthians earlier in the first epistle, in the first letter, in chapter 13? It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and and I have all faith. So I could move mountains, but I have not love. I am nothing. And in here, super important, relevant. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. I will tell you, there are churches out there. There are religious institutions that are feeding the poor, and it's meaning nothing. Because it's just a thing that they do. It's not about their relationship with God or the people. Now, there are others that are doing that and they're following the Lord, and it's because of their love for them and the Lord. And God judges. Remember earlier, Book of Romans? We don't judge another servant. The master judges. And the Lord knows. But I baited you earlier, didn't I? I said, why don't we sell all that stuff? We just had a church meeting here. We're, we're doing okay right now. Like, shouldn't we just empty that bank account and follow Jesus by faith? Well, the answer is in that definition, charity, love. If you sold everything you have, if the church sold everything... You, and you quit your job, who's going to pay your rent? You know, who's going to buy your food, your groceries? Well, the, you're going to burden the church with it. And now it's become a hindrance instead of a help. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But what about the church? You know, we are a family, the family of Christ. 
would I and my family steal from my oldest son to give something to my youngest son? No. No, I will sacrifice as a father, but I'm not going to rob one of my kids to bless another kid. That's not love. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy that bishops and elders are judged by ruling their own households well. It's an example. What about my kids? What if one of my kids was a drug addict? Would I give him money? Would I pay his bills? Would I enable him to continue to use drugs? Of course not. No, I'll do some tough love. I'll say no because I care. What if, what if one of your kids was excelling in business and life and being very disciplined and working really hard, but one of your other kids was lazy and didn't work and blamed the world and everything was everybody else's fault? Should I take from the productive one and give it to the poorer one? That's not love either. That's not right. That's not equality. That's not helping. Okay, what about, what about if one of my kids, though, a tornado goes to their house and destroys everything. Are you going to be there to help out? To provide? Of course you are. Yes, if some, what do they call it in the insurance world? An act of God happens, something out of their control happens, a hurricane or a car wreck or a disaster or an illness happens, you're going to be right there. You're going to take care of them. The Bible says, especially those to the household of faith. And so, The church makes decisions based on love, on taking care of you, on taking care of us. A pastor is a shepherd like our Lord Jesus. What does a a shepherd have? I almost said what does a pastor have. What does a shepherd? A shepherd has a rod and a staff. The staff, you know, bringing the sheep together, keeping us together. Don't let them wander off. Loves the sheep, takes care of them. What's that rod for? That's for the wolves. Those that want to come in and rob and to cheat and to steal. They want to come in and they want to take advantage well, don't worry, we've got rods around here. We'll take care of that. Now, I'm not going to let anyone, as much as within me and the grace of God, to take advantage of you. And we want to provide a place where we can come day after day and worship the Lord together, make the sacrifice of praise from our lips. We want a place where we can come and we can give our gifts as much as is enabled, freely willing. We don't want you to be cajoled, emotionally strangled. The church corporately needs to make decisions following Christ. If the Lord does call us to sell it all and to give it to the missionaries, we will. But from his word, I can tell you that's very unlikely because that would be taking advantage of you and us together as a family. See, we need to do these things with love. It's unfortunately, you know, Miss Kay, she answers the phones for us. And it's unfortunate how many people are trying to take advantage of the church. And I realize, I realize that we can make mistakes and decisions and sometimes... Somebody really just needs a little help. But the majority of the time, there are professional charlatans, wolves in sheep's clothing that just want to get stuff for free. I have example after example, but I don't want to even give them the face value. I'd rather be in the Word. I'll share a couple of with you after, after service if you're interested. But there are other times when tragedy strikes where the fellowship is freely giving. Remember, it's better to give than to receive. We want to follow the Lord. Remember the church here, we give over 10% or more at least is going to go to missionaries to sharing the gospel. And if something happens to one of us, we'll take care of it because that's what we do in the family of God. Corinthians, though, they were rich. 
but they were poor because they didn't have the heart. Now, Paul, if you think he's called them out now, let's read verses 10 through 15 together. And in this I give advice, not an order, he says. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, you know, highlight that in your mind, a year ago, but now you, all, you also must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of, will, out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance also may supply your lack, and there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much and nothing, had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Well, I want to point out a couple different things here. Number one, it's been a year since they said they were going to commit, the Corinthians, to supplying this offering gift to go to, Jer- to Judea, to Jerusalem. So they're holding out on the brothers. Notice that he said advice. He wasn't demanding it. And notice as they were freely willing. He just said, you guys wanted to do this, you should complete it. You know, I'm encouraging you to complete it. This is important. We know people are, are suffering. I will point out what Warren Wiersbe pointed out in verse 13. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He said, his words, not mine, that this is an anti-communism verse. See, communism says you take from the rich, you give it to the poor, you dole it out. And there are those, um, because these things, they pop their head up. Every once in a while, they'll come back. And they'll say, well, in the book of Acts, it says that Christians should all be communists because they sold everything that they have and they distributed it equally. That is um, based in side note for you history nerds, and it'll come back soon, believe me. It's called liberation theology, which is enslavement theology. It's based in communism. And they were trying to use Christianity and attach it to communism to further those goals. It's pretty popular. It was popular at times in South America, and it will come back, believe me. But it says here in verse 13, he's not burdening some to give to others. He's not taking from anyone and giving it. Remember, we receive free will offerings as you freely give them, and then they're distributed. Nothing is ever taken. And it's not about making everyone the same. And it's not about burdening others. No burdens. Next chapter, we're going to talk about being a a hilarious, freely, joy-filled giver. Not conned. The church is not trying to con you. Chuck told this story, uh, Pastor Chuck. He he said he was in a church, and they said, you know, everyone stand up. And I don't know, I don't remember the details if he was talking about he was actually there or if it was a story. And he said, everyone get up. Now put your hand in your neighbor's pocket and take the wallet out. Now give like you've always wanted to give. Because it's easy to spend other people's money. Business, church, family, it's easy. If you have a teenage or ever had a teenage kid around you, man, they want to spend your money quick. Now, I can get a little bit snippy at times in my family, and I've been an hourly worker for a long time in my life, not so much lately, but I would be like, oh, okay, we'll buy that. It's only three and a half hours of my life. Because it, it's, 
they, they are easily spending the work of what it took for me to get. No, no, no. That's not what this is talking about. He's not about taking things and just giving it to other people. It's about what the Lord is doing in our hearts and for the church. It's about how is the Lord teaching us. Notice Paul's not making demands. And he's not trying to snake the money or con it out. It's a part of our relationship with the Lord, corporately and personally. Well, now in verses 16 to 24. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise in the gospel throughout all the churches is in the gospel through all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which, was, which is administered by us providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So there's to be a practical handling of the, of the offerings. The offerings are to be received. They're re- received, and they have multiple people involved with it. There's great accountability. Titus is not drafted. We talk here about the young man. He's unnamed, the brother in verse 18, whose praise is in the Gospels throughout all the churches, but he's not listed here who he is. And we see here some misnomers that are in the church that are not in the, in the Bible, and that is that they're secular and sacred money. You see, earlier I said, why don't we just all sell everything that we have and quit our jobs and go be missionaries? But there's no difference You are a missionary in your work. Remember from the previous chapter, you're an ambassador for Christ, where you're at, where you placed you. I don't care if you're delivering tortilla chips. I don't care if you're a limousine driver. I don't care if you're in the university or on the golf course. I don't care if you're retired. God has placed you where you are to further the gospel, the fruit of your labor, and also your conversation and your blessing. There is no selling it all and then going and following Christ. You already are sold out for Christ where you are right now. Everything you have is His. And we give a portion of that back to the family of Christ, to the Lord, and it's given to the Lord, and the Lord uses it as He sees fit. There's no separation. Same thing is true of board meetings at the church. There's no like business meeting that's non-spiritual. All the non-spiritual decisions are made. And then we have another meeting where the spiritual decisions are made. No, it's all the Lord's. They're all connected together. We need to be accountable. In your background, not just mine, one of the top reasons that people are turned off on the church is financial accountability. You have some that that's all they ever talk about, not from the Lord. And then you have others that are so stingy and overly ruled, and they, they run their spiritual lives like accountants, 
instead of followers of Christ? Well, the truth is somewhere in the middle, somewhere in the middle, because it's just stuff. You see, money and things, they're all going to disappear. Remember that wad of cash we were talking about? Oh, we were so happy when we thought we had all our bills taken care of. Oh, but then we found out we were going to jail because we just tried to turn in counterfeit. It didn't change. It was always just a thing. Have you ever bought something in your life? You know, you get that buyer's remorse. You thought it was going to change everything. You're going to be so happy with it, and it was just a worse nightmare. So, man, if I could go back, I wouldn't. All those emotions, they swung differently. We need to be good managers of the things that are temporal. They're just things. We need to do things decently and in order, but God is not interested in the stuff. God is not, he does not care one bit about how many zeros are in the bank account because it's all going to disappear. Who was the richest man in America 100 years ago? Maybe three history nerds in here might know. And some of you are going to be Googling it to find out because it's going to bother you later. But the rest of you are like, who cares? It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter because his money is gone. Somebody else has it. He is in the grave. He's ashes in the dirt. Nobody cares. But where's his soul? If he's a follower of Jesus Christ, it's in heaven. He's in the presence of God. If not, he is burning in hell where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose their soul? It's just stuff. So the church, corporately, we need to be followers of Christ. Our heart is what matters to Him, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The same thing is true of the church. We need to be followers of Him, and we need to be focused on the soul. And we need to remind ourselves that this is important to the Lord. You see, when the Lord was in His house in the temple, He got a little spicy one day. He's in there, and He's getting upset. What was He getting upset about? The Bible says He was in there, and He made a whip of cords. I want you to think about this for a minute. Is he have like that angry dad face on when he's doing this? Is he mumbling under his breath? He is weaving the cords. He is making the whip. What did the disciples say? Are they looking at him? Are they like not talking because they got that reverent, like that fear? Like the Lord, he's really upset. And what is he upset about? You see, in the temple in front, you couldn't use the, quote, secular money. You couldn't use the heathen money, the Roman coins, the Greek coins. You could only use temple money. And if you were going to go and make an offering, you couldn't just bring your own sheep. You couldn't just bring your own pigeons or anything that you were going to offer. No, because the, the priest would inspect it and say, oh, no, there's a blemish. It has to be without blemish. So you have to buy ours. But you have to change your currency first, and then you can buy it. So maybe you brought your sheep, and your sheep has a street value of just let's make this up, 500 coins. They'd be like, no, no, you can't have that. You can buy one of ours, though. Oh, well, all I have is 500 coins. Oh, that's unfortunate because our sheep costs 500 coins, but it costs 500 temple coins. So it's going to cost you 1,500 regular coins. And they're changing. Those are the money changers. They're getting in the relationship in the way between him and God. And the Lord is not having it. In Mark 11, he taught saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And what does he do? He starts kicking the tables over. That's, the money is getting in the way, and our Lord is having none of it. He is kicking the tables. The money's flying everywhere. Guys are running. They're pulling their robes up, and they're running away. And the Lord is whipping them. 
can't overemphasize this enough. He is whipping them with a whip that he handmade. That's our Lord. And he's kicking the tables over, and he's letting the animals out that are all in the cages, letting them go. I do not think the Lord is very happy with many of the churches and the way that they're receiving offerings before the Lord. Remember, the Lord is the king of this place. He is the pastor, and we want to follow him. We want to make him happy. When we give, we want to give to please him, not to impress anyone, not to buy him off. And there's a church, we're not so focused on the things and the stuff. We want to bring you closer, a conduit to be used by God to draw you closer to him in your relationship. Money is important to that relationship. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Next week, we're going to talk about that, but you will not be conned, cajoled. There will not be a second offering because I don't want to be whipped by the Lord. I don't want him kicking this pulpit over and chasing me out of here. You know, I want him to be well-pleased with this servant. So as a church, we're not in a competition with other churches. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't judge them because the master judges them. We are Christ followers. We want to be closer to him than the other ones. Now, we can be provoked to love and good works. If someone's doing better than we are, we want to do that or go there. We need to be givers. The church should be giving. But it's not just about putting food in faces. It's about souls. We should be soul-focused on the things that last for eternity. We need to be givers and doers. The Corinthians had the, the right things to say, but for a year they haven't made this offering. They have the money. The Macedonians are outshining them. And they just, Paul's saying, hey, I'm not telling you what to do, but you guys need to keep your word. No, we need to be givers and doers. But number one, number one thing, if you take anything away, the church's decisions corporately and personally should be driven by love, the agape love of God. Is it in the best interest of the people, in the Lord, or in the person that's receiving it to do that? And sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is yes. Think of these things the next time someone's cajoling the dollars out. Or think about these sometimes when it's you who are standing in the way. Let's pray. Lord, we, we want to be led by love. We want to be led by you. We want to make wise decisions, be good stewards, Lord. We pray that you would continue to guide and direct us throughout this week, that we would be used as you as ambassadors wherever we're at, whether it's through the labor of our hands, through our conversations, or through our lives, the sacrifice of praise from our lips, Lord. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I look forward to seeing you next week. Now, ladies, if you're going to the Spring Women's Conference, there will be a meeting right up here in the front and the left. That's where they had it in the last service. Any ladies going or wanting to go to the women's conference, I believe it's this coming weekend, please meet with Miss Megan, my lovely wife, after the service. God bless you. We'll be up here to pray with you if you need prayer. Have a wonderful week.